Welcome, everyone, uh, to the TND podcast. Uh, this is Joel Diebel. We've got Craig Burns with us, as well as Chris Ingalls. And we've been on a journey through the Apostles' Creed for nine episodes now, and this is our 10th and final episode as well. So it's been uh, really enlightening, really uh, exciting to dive into uh, the Apostles' Creed and that being our statement of faith and our guide and our guard. So um, with that, last week we dwelt on the uh, church, talked about the invisible church, the visible church, uh, the holy church, and uh, also the communion of saints and how that affects us as a body and a community within Christ. So to end it, uh, the last portion of the Apostles' Creed says, uh, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Uh, so with that, I'd like to kind of pose the question, you know, as we talk about forgiveness of sins, maybe where we should start is how would we define sin and what, uh, what do we need to be forgiven of. Yeah. And that was a great lead in for what we were talking about and what was on my heart for sharing on this was, you know, the Bible, which is our best source of getting to know God through his son, Jesus, and the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's the most reliable thing that we have, at least. The Bible talks a lot about the, shall we call it, the not good condition of humans, right? <laughs> their thinking and their actions, and I say their when I should say ours, right? And mine. Um, but it is, there, there, it really does talk about a lot about how poorly um, the human condition is. Right, our default switch is this, you know, we are born into the most common word that describes that in Scripture is the word sin. Um, so, yeah, we want to take some time. Um, I kind of worked this three categories that come from three words that are used most often to describe sin. Um, so, I'm not going to go into the words, but I'll try and describe the concept so that we kind of all have a good starting point. We were talking about this earlier and said forgiveness of sins. Hmm, this is actually a really big deal, and it's part yes. of our belief statement at Novation. Not only that, it's part of our belief, our Christianity belief system. Um, so three, these kind of three categories are three concepts of sin when it, in the Bible. So first one is uh, there's this word that gets translated most often, the word sin. And, you know, if you've been around church for a while, you've probably traditionally heard this as um, sin is just missing the mark, right? It's just missing the mark. 
And that's a good description because that word that's used is, describes archers, describes guys that with the sling, like David with the sling and the stone. And those guys could needed to be dead on. And if you missed it, that was, um, you know, and then that's sin. You just missed the mark. But what I have always, not always, but what I have uh, for a while struggled with with that is that term or that phrase, you can make it mean a whole lot of different things. So I would prefer, um, thinking through it, uh, this first idea of sin, the concept of sin, is it goes, it's not just missing the mark. It goes beyond that. It is missing, I use the word goal. Um, we were talking earlier, it is missing the purpose, right? If I miss the mark with an arrow, I can, you know, string up another arrow on the bow and take a shot. And eventually, if I get good enough bad, I will hit the mark. In Scripture, is not so much. You don't get that, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea of missing the goal or missing the purpose, it is a much deeper, much longer deal. I, you know, I, I only get one arrow if we were using missing the mark. Um, whereas if I'm living my life on purpose um, or maybe several purposes throughout my life, but I still don't hit the right one, then I don't get a chance to go back and try another time, right? So, so first, first concept here, missing the goal, missing the purpose. What's the goal? The goal, Scripture, again, very thoroughly through, the, our goal is to love God and love others. Um, I think maybe the easiest way to understand that, and we were talking about this earlier, guys, as well, if you go back to the Ten Commandments back in the Old Testament, and you look at the first five commandments, the best description I've ever heard of those first five commandments is how to fail at loving God. And the second five commandments describing those, how to fail at loving others, <laughs> right? And if you go through any of those or all of those, and if there's an area where you have not hit, you've not stayed on purpose, you've not stayed on goal there, then you have sinned. And uh, along with sin comes just violence and evil. And boy, there are so many words that are not accepted just in our modern day culture today. Um, it's just they're seen as archaic when we talk about sin, transgression, iniquity, wickedness. I mean, the Bible doesn't shy away from using those words. Right. right. So, okay. So that's the first concept is this idea of not just missing the mark, but it's missing the goal. And then we go from the Old Testament, New Testament, where Jesus says, well, you've all heard, you know, do not murder. But I'm here to tell you, if you hold, you know, disdain or um, bitterness in your heart towards somebody, then you're guilty of that command. So, uh Christ even takes it a lot further and says it's not just the actions that are described there in the Ten Commandments, but it's a condition of the heart. So second category of biblical description of sin is this idea of rebellion and betrayal. Very specifically, it's betraying a relationship where there should be trust. So uh, you go all the way back again. Adam and Eve did that. God trusted them in the garden with this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, their sin wasn't that they become aware of what good and evil were. They gained that knowledge, but it goes a little deeper than that. They, they were tempted with, by the serpent, they 
to you will be like God. So their heart, their desire there in, in disobeying God was they wanted to define for themselves what was good, what was evil, what was right, what was wrong. Um, and they betrayed that relationship with God. Um, you go through scripture, uh, there were the people in the country of Israel that betrayed again and again their covenant relationship with God, and you can carry that right through. It's worth being said that um, when it comes to biblical description of sin as well, that, okay, there is no difference between sinning or failing to love others like we were talking about before. Right. If I fail to love others or I sin against you guys, that is an offense to God, right? So um, I sin against God by sinning against others. So third category is this idea of this crooked, twisted path versus um, what when God describes himself, it is, it, it is to make a path straight when he talks about restoring us to becoming truly human he's he's taking our twisted and crooked path and he's making it making it a straight path and that is this concept of um, of purity and you know straightforwardness uh, integrity faithfulness that's where all this comes um, so this idea that humans have these crooked paths and it doesn't um, you know there's this crooked and twisted part of ourselves, of our makeup, of our psyche, of how we treat one another. Yep. And we're headed into, you know, this season of politics here. It's already starting, even though voting is nine months away. Um, we're already started there, and it's almost, we're at this place in our culture and society today where a politician stands up and says, what wants to be heard, and most of us have a pretty good idea, they're not probably going to do half of what they say, yep. right? But, but, and that's the idea there is that I give one, you know, it's this two-faced, it might be another way of describing that um, concept. So those three concepts of sin, that is where we're starting. And to wrap up my little diatribe here on that, again, the Bible says this is the case. This is the human condition. And it's included in the creed because it is part of, now, when we get to the creed, we do believe in forgiveness of sins. And that's only one little phrase in there, but yet it is a really, really big deal. Forgiveness of sins is not a minor part of the Christian faith. It is a big, big deal. So from that, we can jump on to forgiveness. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's a really great description of what is sin. And, uh, and you know, looking then at the forgiveness of sin, and uh, I think of verses like Psalm 32, um, 1 and 2, where uh, the psalmist writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And I think of, you know, how, how amazing that is that, uh, that God would uh, inspire uh, the author to tell us how amazing it is to be counted as one whose sins are forgiven. And, uh, you know, you're... And uh, appears to be speaking from experience, like God is acting at that time, giving him this, you know, 
this blessing, there's probably not a better word there. It's not just I'm happy because I'm forgiven, right? right. It right. is I'm my life has changed because <laughs> my transgressions are forgiven. Sin is covered. <laughs> Count I, I don't have any iniquity counted against. There's some of those words that the Bible uses, right? Yeah. Transgression, iniquity. <clears throat> ugly words because <laughs> well, yeah. it's an ugly deal <laughs> when you you also find those same words and more loaded throughout isaiah 53 oh yeah and in in that chapter of isaiah in particular we see those words being put onto the perfect lamb mm-hmm. who, who didn't have any of them in himself he bore our transgressions right. he bore our iniquities and of course you know, in the fulfillment, fulfillment of Scripture, we see that that perfect lamb from Isaiah 53 was Christ. Yeah. And, I th- I, you know, Chris, you mentioned it a couple times, you know, the human condition. And, uh, you know, it's something that <clears throat> the longer I've walked with Jesus, the more apparent my sin is to me. You know, and we'd like to think that, you know, oh, we're going through this process, we're being sanctified and, becoming more like Jesus, and absolutely that's true, but all of us, I think, can really relate if if you really sit down and think about it, man, I need forgiveness because mm-hmm. I'm a sinful human being. Right, <laughs> right. And all those ugly words apply, definitely. And that's, I would say that is, well, I'll at least make this observation. Having had, you know, some uh, privilege, I guess, to be around, a lot of, of, of guys over the years in ministry, not that that immediately qualifies someone as being a good follower of Christ. It doesn't, but guys that are really love Jesus and that were walking more years down that path than me and hearing them say years ago to me the same thing that you're describing. To hear Pastor Russ Frace, who was last, was that last month's, um, right. He says that. The guy's done more than I will probably accomplish as far as what's in the kingdom on this, in this lifetime and on this earth. Um, but yet he will sit there and humbly tell you with one of his famous alligator tears in the corner of his eye what a sinful man he, need, he is. But in the, And the reason that we're focusing on that here is you sense the forgiveness and how blessed, how valuable that is. That when we talk about the forgiveness of sins again as being an important tenet, that it's in this creed that helps define Novation communities, how we answer the question, what do we believe? It's a big deal. It is a really big deal. And Boy, I think it's even, I feel this now, it's just an encouragement to, boy, it's not a bad thing to, you know, to think through and spend some time on, you know, I'm a sinful, you know, I'm sinful because then comes up and goes, Mm -hmm. wow, the forgiveness is so awesome. And I think, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians, what is it, versus either verse 20 or 21, as we might bridge from forgiveness into the next section of resurrection of the body. 1 Corinthians 15, the emphasis there is on the body. 
but I think it's verse 20 or 21 where Paul starts talking about if sin came through one man, Adam, how much more <laughs> that, you know, salvation, or I don't remember the exact word that Paul's using there, but how much more through the one man, Jesus Christ. And that, boy, that's a great experience with Jesus as we continue to know him better and know more and more what a perfect human is, we will see more and clearly how far short we fall of that, but yet then we're more aware of um, how great his forgiveness. And I know, dude, you were, you had, uh, Craig, you had uh, something about grace that you had uh, heard from Dr. Ortberg, I think. Yeah. which emphasizes that same thing. Well, it's, yeah, a very similar note. And, uh, and the thing that, uh, that I was uh, sort of struck by as I was first, first uh, sort of still staying in the forgiveness of sins in a sense, um, you know, I was, I was looking these, uh, you know, some things up about forgiveness, of course, and uh, a couple of different uh, stories from Jesus' earthly ministry stuck out to me. Um, and uh, yeah, you see it in Luke 7, and um, where basically an angry mob is bringing a, a woman who's been caught um, in a, a number of the categories of sin that we've described earlier. Um, you know, f- caught first, firsthand, uh, and she's brought to Jesus, and, and the takeaway um, that he leaves her with is to go and that your sins are forgiven. And the part that struck me it wasn't necessarily that he had the right to forgive because he's God, uh, and I understand that. That makes sense to me. The part that I struggled with was that he hadn't died for those sins yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, from my sort of Pentecostal uh, background, um, I sort of actually stopped and thought about that. And, um, and it, uh, my takeaway was uh, along the lines of that it would appear, because uh, he says that again in Matthew 9, um, with, an, with another instance of someone who's, who's caught in sin. And, uh, and actually, it's uh, the cripple uh, who Jesus tells, you know, your sins are forgiven, pick up your mat and walk. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, so I was, you know, so two different times we see this, so I'm not just pulling it out of thin air. <laughs> and, and so anyway, the, the takeaway I got from it was basically along the lines that Jesus' death on the cross was necessary to accomplish forgiveness, but not to bestow it. And uh, the idea that he had the right as God to forgive sins before he paid for it. And that was uh, sort of a uh, thought-provoking thing for me. And so I dug back into an old podcast I listened to with John Ortberg with uh, Carrie Newhoff. And... uh, and one of the things that uh, was discussed on that podcast was this idea that uh, forgiveness uh, is a gift from grace and that we are to be, uh, as believers, um, one of the things that we are to be powered by, or, or maybe the thing, is grace and something that we tend to do in our uh, modern church circles is we restrict grace to forgiveness. We stop at forgiveness with grace. 
And that does us a disservice, I think. Um, and certainly, uh, Ortberg argued the same point. Um, it, it's the idea that uh, if we stop grace at forgiveness, uh, we effectively prevent true transformation. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was just a really, like, I had to stop and, yeah. and process that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess kind of conversely from the, the depth and depravity of man and our sin is the, the depth and the breadth of, of grace, right? Which right. goes well beyond just saving us, you know, pulling us out of the fire and, and so forth. It's, it's uh, bestowing so many wonderful gifts um, beyond that that just is humbling to, to think about. And leads us into, I think, that experience, Joel, that you were describing earlier, too. Like, it's only by grace that we realize, boy, am I super, super sinful. And then, oh, but yeah, I am completely forgiven. <laughs> yeah, right? So I'm not partway forgiven. I, it is the forgiveness of sins, right? It is not the forgiveness of a couple or a few or some or even many, but it's for all. Yeah. And boy, does that become, the longer I agree, the longer I walk with Christ, am I more and more aware of my sin? Yes. Am I reminded again and again of how awesome forgiveness is through his grace? You betcha. <laughs> so, yeah, Absolutely. That's good. All right, so moving on to resurrection of the body, and I'm going to bring this up. Um, so we talked about it a bit. It make, Resurrection of the body makes it into the creed, but it seems like um, there is, uh, like it's not taught on that often. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's not taught on. So we were talking about this. Why? I mean, we agree, like, you don't hear a lot of teaching on the resurrection of the body, even though in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is, you know, there's a whole chapter basically on Paul speaking very strenuously about yep. the, the bodily resurrection. And again, it's an important part of our faith. So yep. we were talking a little bit about that, guys. What are some thoughts on that? My first one was... Because it's kind of uncomfortable to talk about. (laughs) Our modern day psyche, you start going and you're talking about the dead coming up out of the graves and you may as well be in an A&E show talking about zombies or something. I mean, it's like, "Eh, it's entertaining, but seriously, not real. So, Well, I think, uh, you know, first of all, I I would give some TND homework and say that everyone should go reread 1 Corinthians 15. Awesome. Um, because as Chris said, you know, I was rereading it just today, and the language Paul is using here is like, if, if, if we don't have the resurrection of the body, then this is all for nothing almost. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was making this extremely, extremely important. Um, and I think, you know, to kind of go back to your question a little bit, uh, and what our discussion was about before, before recording was, you know, we oftentimes get so caught up in the in the how, and as we envision what resurrection of the body is, all of us can conjure up those awkward moments that you're you're kind of hinting at there, and and ask the questions of, 
well, what happens if I cremate my body or what happens if I'm an organ donor or what happens if I'm in the grave or, you know, all you of these. picking on me? <laughs> I might have mentioned that earlier. Um, you know, and, and so it's easy to come up with these weird imagery that, that we can think of of how that might play out. And the bottom line is we don't, we don't really know how that's going to be executed and what, what that process will be like. But what we do know is that our resurrected bodies are going to be uh, something that is beyond what are capable of imagining today. And, you know, Jesus is the ultimate example of a human uh, for us. His resurrected body was, was similar to his previous body, but yet different. It was recognizable, yet beyond recognition. Not easily recognizable. At the same time. Cases, so. And, uh, you know, it wasn't spirit. It was flesh, but not the flesh we're used to. So, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, obviously through all that, I think there's a lot of uh, hope and a lot of, um, you know, things to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, that we're not just going to be floating spirits without bodies, but we will have a resurrected, purified, glorified body. Right. Right. I would like to just uh, jump in a little bit and just uh, comment. It's funny that Joel and I are back on the episode to talk about this. <laughs> um, just highlighting, again, how Chris seems to constantly tab the two of us for things that, you know, the scripture isn't clear, so let's let Craig and Joel talk about it. Uh, <laughs> you guys do great. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think, too, it's important to note this wasn't something that uh, became uh, a teaching topic with the New Testament. We see, we see references to resurrection throughout the Old sure. Testament as well. Um, Isaiah spoke to it when he said, All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Um, other places, you know, as well, Jesus himself um, spoke to it when he said that uh, there will be a resurrection of life in John 5, and that uh, as well that those who have done evil will be resurrected to, uh, to judgment. And so, um, you know, so it's clear the teaching yeah. that there will be a resurrection there it is clear there will be some version of a glorified body this is one of the instances where the how isn't clear no and I, you know i think that you know as i think back to one of the principles of us adopting the creed as our what we believe are things that unite us right and so the part that i think is kind of ironic is here's this topic that's literally divided you know oh. christendom yeah and um, here we are and putting it in something that we say unites us. And, uh, and so it's a little bit ironic, but the part that I think we should be reunited around is this notion of Scripture's clear that something is going to happen. It's not clear the how. So let's not, you know, what we talked about earlier was let's not try to even go into the how. And I, and I think that's right because that's where I think we get into the division. Right. So... Yeah, so, and you guys can, so the reference to Joel and, and Craig doing this, that they taught through, what, about a year ago, I think it was, that you guys taught through rapture, tribulation, 
Millennial. Millennial. Post-millennial. Pre-millennial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we basically took all the um, spectrum of orthodoxy concerning uh, biblical eschatology. Yeah. Um, tried to not... <laughs> Jade it with our <laughs> views, um, but to prevent hopefully or present hopefully uh, a fair and balanced uh, uh, presentation on that. Um, and just about anyone and everyone that participated in that Tuesday evening, or a couple of Tuesday evenings, I guess, were very, they were very grateful for it. You guys did great, but. Yeah, it's. I think we said it earlier that, uh, or we were talking about it earlier. There's the old axiom that you know, you don't talk politics or religion, um, and then kind of the unspoken axiom is if you're talking about religion, just don't talk about the resurrection, right? So, <laughs> or if you do, be prepared for an argument, right? Because there are some strongly formed opinions around it. Right. So but I agree. Um, the fact is that there will be a bodily resurrection. How? Yeah. It could be like R.C. Sproul. And he said, ultimately, he was a pantheist. And it will all pan out in the end, <laughs> right? So, um, it, 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 which is true. I mean, that is the focus on the end in this case since, as opposed to the means of it. But, well, as a hopefully funny anecdote, we kind of alluded to it. Um, I just feel like I might as well share it. Um, <laughs> so where this uh, sort of rubber meets the road, I'll give you a very personal example of someone I knew that uh, for years refused to become an organ donor on the basis of their very uh, tunnel vision oriented view of this bodily resurrection <laughs> and uh, uh, all, all to say that you know when you take the blinders off and you turn turn the power and the authority to accomplish a bodily resurrection over to the one who's actually going to do it and you, and you don't worry about the method um, you know, I can I can positively affirm that that person is today a organ donor, and uh, I can also positively affirm that that uh, person is me. I was going to say it says <laughs> it on your driver's license now, right? It's, it's right on there. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So in wrapping this up, not just uh, this episode, but for the episodes on the Apostles' Creed, we have everlasting life, and then of course, Amen, which is the end. But um, this concept of, of life everlasting. And um, in just a couple of minutes, uh, a thing um, just this past year, um, attending a class, uh, really started to um, develop this concept in me that yeah, everlasting life is important. Um, but again, kind of even in our modern day and our modern culture, uh, even though it seems it's a goal of much culture to extend life as long as possible, the idea of everlasting life isn't necessarily really that appealing that I'm going to live forever. But um, I think where Christianity is very, very strong, and it even ties back to the resurrection of the body, is that Many religions have an, an afterlife, right? Mm. And they are all over the board. 
what Christianity promises and what we believe is that that, that life everlasting is tied to some very strongly tied to its significance and that is that there's everlasting love right so and it's not just this float around on a cloud love it is that Joel will experience a bodily resurrection and he will be in some sense still Joel as will Chris and as will Craig identifiably individuals and the promise being we will forever have life with um, the Father and the Son, but we will have that experience of what we just get, maybe just good tastes and good, a good swallow here and there in this lifetime of Christ's love in us. We will, for, we will have the experience of everlasting love. Yeah, um, yeah individually. And that's, that's, that's the gospel, right? It, you know, the gospel isn't simply, like we said before, that Jesus threw us a lifeline and now we get to go be on the beach and hang out in our hammock for right. all eternity or up in the clouds, as you said, but uh, that we have that perfect communion with our Creator, perfect communion with our Savior and others. And, and each other, yeah. In eternity to explore that and enjoy that and uh, live life, like, Life doesn't stop yeah. once once we get to that point, right? Like yeah. true life begins. So um, that's an amazing hope that everyone can hold on to, and it's perfect way to culminate this creed um, with the with the end in mind. Yeah. Yeah. One, um, you know, I'm just uh, sort of processing, but um, one vi- one scripture that comes to mind. Um, is from First Peter three, or sorry, First Peter one three through five, and uh, and it, I'll I'll read it. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And some of the key words that just struck out to me from that and this idea of love everlasting, you know, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading. Um, It's really strong imagery to me um, to think of love in those terms. Um, Because, you know, we're obviously used to human love, uh, so-called, and we're used to it perishing. We're used to it being defiled. We're used to it fading. And, you know, the promise of, of Christ is perfect love, everlasting yeah. love. And I think that's a great way to, to think of sort of a, a conclusion of this series and uh, end of a statement of faith is to focus on Christ's love yeah. for yeah. us. And uh, yeah, I think that's great. So with that, um, encourage you again, um, we can continue the conversa- conversation, questions, comments, sharing, whatever out on the TND Facebook group. And that is kind of how the February 1 will wrap is uh, with some encouragement that uh, we're done with the creed, 
but we certainly aren't done in striving to understand and experience the love of Christ. So with that, I think, guys, let's, uh, in, in um, kind of union and communion here, um, end as the creed does. So in three, two, one, amen. And hear my prayer, you can be sure.